welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's a Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge, I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's still laughing at Aggie Basketball Twitter, Kyle Carpenter. <laughs> Kyle, how are you? There's a lot of words borrowed from other languages that just enhance English when we leave them in their purest state. And I, I don't, I'm glad we've never tried to recreate it. We just use the purest German for Schoedenfreda. I, I, I think uh, it is so perfectly encapsulated. I'm from New Braunfels, so, you know, there you go. Uh, a little bit of German, as are, as are many Aggies, actually, from New Braunfels. Uh, so uh, the, the German word, if you're not familiar, is having pleasure in, in another's pain when that person deserves it. Is there a better way to describe Aggie Twitter and those of us who watch it? Texags.com on a big Aggie sporting day. And I say big Aggie sporting day because the majority of them end, end sadly. Um, but... Yeah, just the, you know, I, I joked with, with good friend of the show in, in Fighting Texas Aggie, Mario, um, when everyone was convinced they were going to be in the tournament, I said, y'all are so hot, man, you're going to destroy the NIT. Like, uh, y'all are really going to do well in the NIT. And it was meant as a little bit of a dig and a burn. Um, I, I, they haven't officially announced, I don't think yet, but but I think it's pretty safe to say the Aggies will get into that tournament, I think. I have been keeping track of it because I don't like to uh, play around in dumpsters, but uh, it seems like they, they might have a shot at it, but... Much like their baseball team and their football team and their now their basketball team um, and their, their, their soccer team schedule. and their softball team and and no no, no team will finish top twenty five this year for the the greatest sleeping giant of a program fighting Texas Aggies. Go on, I'm sorry. I was going to say that much like their football team and their baseball team, it always sucks when weak non-conference schedule come back and bite you the keister. That's all I'm going to say. This is a, for basketball specifically, a glass houses situation because Chris Beard would schedule seven wet tissues if he could in non-conference. But um, again, like you can't schedule that and lose like the middle of the season, the entire middle of the season like you did and expect to make it into the tournament. The, the analog is very much closer to, like, West Virginia. And I love Bob, Bob Huggins, but they played a really weak out-of-conference basketball schedule, and then they didn't win a lot of their games in their tough conference, right? Texas did win a lot of their games in their tough conference, and so that that's the difference, right? And don't forget that, you know, Texas played the number one team in the nation. We have been lambasting how weak our schedule was, but it also included playing the number one team in the nation at their house. So they're just everything that we do. We hold ourselves to a different level than, than those, those poor sad souls in, in Aggiesville. We're not here to talk about Aggies. We're here to talk about Aggies missing out on stuff. NCAA <laughs> tournament, Texas men and women are going into the NCAA tournament on different trajectories. The men um, lost much, a bunch of games to end the season, including another one and done trip for Chris Beard in the big 12 tournament, Texas on the men's side selected as a six seed and will play an exceedingly hot Virginia tech team. Courtney Ramey's reaction when finding out it was Virginia tech kind of sums up my feelings as well. Like great. Texas made it in Texas is the good seed. Why did they draw one of the most dangerous 11 seeds in the country? They'll take on Virginia tech 
at 3.30 Central on Friday, tomorrow, uh, the day that you're listening to this. Virginia Tech is 13-2 and two in their last 15. Ken Palm has them eight spots below Texas at number 24. Texas is six seed. Remember, Virginia Tech and 11 seed. Yeah, according to Ken Palm, Texas should have been something closer to like a four or five seed, which again, I, I am fine that they, they didn't. I don't think they deserved it at the end with the way they finished. Um, but again, the way that our most accurate basketball uh, metric uh, composite site would have uh, Virginia Tech is them at a six seed, not an 11 seed. So it is, um, you know, the way that they finished in the ACC tournament um, had a lot of people, myself included, saying, ooh, they're a good upset pick when you're making your bracket. I wonder who's going to – oh, oh, Texas. The, Texas got the hottest – oh. Okay. Um, so that was my initial reaction, and that was most people's initial reaction, Gerald. And I just want to add a salve of – not optimism, because I refuse at this point to allow optimism to enter the conversation with, with Texas basketball this year. Um, but – Maybe realism, right? So Texas has a significantly better strength of schedule. And we'll talk about how similar these teams are in play style and other things as well. Um, but um, the thing where they aren't is that Texas did play a significantly better strength of schedule. And that is mostly because of the strength of the conference play. The ACC was so, so, so down this year. Again, Duke being a two seed seems ridiculous. Like they could have easily been a three seed. Anyone who wasn't a Duke fan probably would have been okay if they were like a four seed, but they beat ACC teams and that has clout, you know, in, in some way, you know, they beat North Carolina who, um, this Virginia tech team beat North Carolina, uh, in the tournament. Um, they beat three teams in a row in that tournament when, which they won, they won the ACC tournament, um, beating three teams along the way that will play, uh, in the madness that is March Notre Dame who barely made it in. Um, again, if, they weren't an ACC team with a little bit of a, a bump. They, they they were right on the bubble. Um, UNC, who, name recognition, uh, and, and is okay. They're not terrible, but they're, they're not the UNC of your, your dad, uncle, or even, you know, grandfather. Uh, and, and Duke, or who... Or even our childhood. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and Duke, who, you know, this is Coach K's last year. Like, I'm surprised they didn't just get the number one overall seed because, you know, everyone's bowing down to them. Um, but it, I, I firmly believe if you take Duke and put them in the Big 12 that they are fourth best. And, and you know, maybe Texas gets spicy in their fifth best, you know. Uh, North Carolina is probably pretty equivalent to OU. I would put OU slightly above North Carolina this year. Notre Dame. I would put West Virginia above Notre Dame. Um, so, um, you know, I, where does that put Virginia Tech? I don't know. They Texas is is significantly more talented on paper um, than Virginia Tech, but Virginia Tech is playing their best basketball. And they had an interesting thing where they all of their tough games were loaded at the front, um, and they seem to have found their stride and also played their weaker opponents uh, in their last 15, which is great, you know, great for them to be hot. Like they can get the most out of their talent, maximize the most out of their talent, the way that they've constructed their season. We just talked about, um, you know, in our last show, what Vic Schaefer did. And we'll talk about again, you know, win streaks are great when you're heading into the tournament. That's a really good indicator. Um, But if you look at the three tournament wins, that's their first Q1 wins of the season. One, two, and three for this team. If you try to find their best win before the tournament, I think it's like Ken Palm's number 57, Notre Dame at, uh, you know, at home or like number 70, uh, Miami, I think on, on the road, like this just there's not a lot there even in the Q2. So do you weigh a season's worth, which 
is obviously being weighed down by their beginning of the year, or do you weigh how hot they are right now and beating three good teams, three tournament teams at the end? Uh, it's hard to say. So that's that's all I'm offering when when people are sky is falling. This is not a game that Texas absolutely will lose. They just have the worst matchup. There's no way they can do it. Um, but this is certainly a tough matchup, and it is a tough matchup with a really hot opponent, and it is a toss-up basically when you should obviously as a six seed have a, a pretty good advantage. Um, so it's tough. There's no doubt that this is as tough as it gets um, it, for almost any team in the country, this draw for Texas. Yeah. And I mean, you, you talk about the, the comparative schedules, um, which conference has, has multiple one seats. Let's just, let's just break that down. Which conference? Oh, it's, it's the big 12, which conference has two, which conferences have two teams in the, Top eight seats. That's the Big Twelve and the SEC. Which conference has multiple teams in the top twelve seats? That's the Big Twelve and the SEC. So, like the Big Twelve, and I'll stand on. I've been standing on a table for this for years. Is the best basketball conference in the country. I will say it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It is an absolute murderer's row. And so, I think you do have the comparative schedules. But again, Texas has lost a lot of winnable games in the NCAA tournament in years past. And and part of the reason why Texas made the change to Chris Beard from Shaka Smart is to win these types of games. And so I think the thing that we Texas fans need to settle in for is that um, this one may not be a, uh, a breezy watch. We'll say it like that. It's a battle of, of similar tastes for um, the coaching staffs. If, if, they could play basketball without a shot clock. I think both of these teams would appreciate that. Um, just take it back to Naismith and the Peach Boxes and just dribble out an entire uh, four. Dribble out an entire clock. Formative experience for me, uh, learning why shot clocks are important. I was covering uh, small Oklahoma school basketball and a team that was leading in the fourth quarter of a game tried to dribble out the last two minutes of the game (laughs) and they ended up losing. I felt bad for feeling like they deserved that because they were high school kids, but you shouldn't try to dribble out two minutes. Um, But that would be the preference of these two teams. Texas and Virginia Tech are number 341 and 344 out of 358 teams in pace. And again, they value efficiency like Texas. They try to limit turnovers. So this could be a situation in which it's a war of attrition and it's, it's kind of a land battle and it's who has the ball as the half expires. That could have a lot to do with Texas limiting fouls. And we've seen Texas when they try to limit possessions, they struggle with those long scoreless streaks because of it, because if Texas goes cold and you've only got you know, you've, you've got a limited number of possessions. You're, you're shortening the game by three or four, or even five possessions. Their inability to capitalize on those possessions all the time seems to be a death knell for them. We've seen that time and time again this year. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like Texas, this is a, a team that is going to play some high energy defense, right? These are two teams that play really slow on offense, but really hard on defense. And that's why I think it's so, it matches up so well. That's why you might have a 49 to 51 final score in this they're not you know they're going to try to get extra possessions on their own with some offensive rebounds but they're not going to be teams that are getting a turnover getting a rebound and running right they're going to try to work the shot clock they you know if they get an offensive rebound both of these teams might dribble it out to the perimeter you know that no one is trying to just immediately uh score here because they both both coaches see a, a metric where you know you limit possessions for the other team and you make yours efficient and you win and uh you know 
that's March basketball. Like that is a strategy that can and has and often does work. So, uh, you know, both of these teams can, can employ that very well. Just, it's kind of going to be interesting that they're doing it uh, against each other. The, the one thing that does scare me a little bit is if this gets into a, a really close kind of in the mud on your knees fist fight where you can't really go anywhere too fast or too far and you're just banging up against each other that they have some shooters on this team, right? I think uh, for scores they're 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 pretty close to Texas, you know, for rebounders they're they're, they're a, they don't have the type of size that necessarily just terrifies uh Texas, right? I, I to me the the difference if this doesn't go Texas's way could end up being uh the shooters, right? And and they um they're good as a team, they're shooting 39 from deep, right? They have a couple guys who are, who are, you know, shooting really well. Hunter Couture hit 82 threes this year at a four, almost 42% clip. Darius Maddox, he only hit 40 threes, but he hit 43 shooting 52%, um, which is silly. Uh, you know, Will Baker once shot that many threes and didn't make one to start his career. No, I'm kidding. No, sli- no <laughs> slides to, to our boy Will. Um, but you know what I mean? That they, they have... They have guys who either A, they get hot, or B, they just need a shot. Um, they have that outlet. And both these teams are going to pressure and make you move the ball, and they're going to rotate. And maybe, you know, that gets you a little bit of space to, to hit a shot. Texas missed a lot of open threes this year. And from what it looks like with this Virginia Tech shooting and their their, their shot charts, um, when they get open threes, they, they take advantage of them. And so I, I hope it's not, but that could be – the difference if Texas isn't able to, to win this one. So I guess we'll find out tomorrow if Texas is able to take advantage of it. So if Texas does win this game, they'll play the winner of Purdue and Yale. Purdue is, um, does something that Texas struggles with, and that has a size down low, Zach Eady and Travion Williams. Again, those are two uh, of the better big men in the country, and Texas has struggled with that in uh, the past. We've seen it this season. Yeah, likely the best one-two punch in the entire tournament is who Texas gets in the second round. So when we talk about what a devastating draw it was, it's for both. If they find a way past uh, Virginia Tech, and, and look, Virginia Tech's largest player is also their leading scorer, you know, but Kiva Luma uh, is 6'9". He's, he's, uh, he's, he's not the biggest 6'9 in the world. Justin Mutz, which is a fantastic name for a, a mid-level college basketball player, is really more of their, uh, their, their big body inside is closer to a Kristen Bishop's at 6'7", 230. So, um, they they see it here. Here is where they really see it um, in in round two. And so, if you're putting odds on Texas winning not one but two games in the tournament, who boy? Um, if they find a way past Virginia Tech to the round of 32, they're going to have a really really tough three seed in Purdue. Um, so. I'll start with Travion Williams because last year he was one of the five finalists for the the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award, the best center in the league um, or in the in the country. Um, and then the seven foot four guy who was a freshman last year stepped up, and now he's their best big man. So like Travion Williams was one of the best big men in the country last year. Now he's certainly their number two big man on this team. You have a six eleven and a seven four guy. One is a senior and wants to win, and he's been there a while, and he's dangerous, and he does all the things right. And the other is seven foot four. Um, so. <sighs> I don't know. Like, let's say Texas gets by them. I don't know what the strategy is. Like, try to uh, hit them in the knees? I don't know. 
I'm not sure. Maybe, again, just cheer for Yale and hope things uh, work out. They also have Jaden Ivey, who uh, is probably a lottery pick this year. But it's probably – it's it, if Texas wins against Virginia Tech, they're going to be one and done. But one is better than none, which is why Texas parted with Shaka Smart. So Chris Beard has an opportunity to hopefully – rewrite some of his history or make a new trend for his history and and rewrite the Longhorns tournament history. The Longhorns tournament history, but I hope the opposite, Gerald. I hope Chris Beard does not rewrite his history whatsoever. If you look since 2000 of coaches winning percentage in the tournament, the only coach with a higher winning percentage is John Calipari. Tom Izzo, so Bart Tovic ranked uh, kind of their wins and the, the 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 challenge, the seeds that they beat in their runs. Tom Izzo is is the highest, even though he has a slightly lower win percentage than Bruce Pearl because he's Bruce Pearl and what he does with his level of talent and ends up taking them is at number three. So you have Izzo, Calipari, Pearl, and then Chris Beard. Chris Beard is ahead of Mark Few, Scott Drew, Jay Wright, Eric Musselman, Bill Self, like some some luminaries since 2000 in Tovic's uh, ranking. Obviously, a lot of that is from kind of an improbable title game run that he had a couple years ago. We've, we've talked about that. That's what got him the Texas job, honestly. But Beard is a tournament coach. When when Beard was at other schools and wasn't at Texas and we didn't have burn orange lenses, or in this case, uh, slightly distorted and, and battered Longhorn syndrome. Um, he was the coach you came up against. He said, Ooh, I don't want to coach against Chris Beard in March. Like you just don't, he's very good as a tournament coach. And, and on the flip side, we're, we're basing a lot of our angst on a 20 point loss to TCU, which is terrible. It sucked. It was awful. It wasn't fun to watch, but Chris Beard's one in five in the big 12 tournament. The year that they went on their run, he lost in the first round in the big 12 tournament. He objectively, because the people who rank and give seeds don't really doesn't care about that Big 12 tournament. And so let's see if Beard, let's give him the, the benefit of the doubt if he has a trick up his sleeve, if he can do what he does, which, you know, former tech players who, who don't just hate Texas and will speak to us came on the BON uh, space uh, <laughs> after our tournament loss and, and, and not being a jerk said, um, yeah, Beard doesn't care, but the players are going to have the craziest week of their lives getting ready for the tournament. It's going to be completely different. And, you know, there's some things, and he, he pointed out some things about leadership or whatever, but, the, you know, it could be different. So just don't be out on this team yet is all I'm saying. That could change in a few short hours. Uh, but I think there is, with Chris Beard, with the senior leadership, I think there is a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. A team that actually has a legitimate chance to make it out of the uh, first couple of rounds, the women. Selected as a two-seed, fresh off their win in the Big 12 tournament. They're going to host the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Spokane region in the Irwin Center. Texas enters that game on an 11-game win streak, which is their longest since 2016. Texas will kick it off against Fairfield tomorrow. And then the winner is going to go on to take on the winner of Utah, Arkansas on Sunday. So a big set of matchups. And the ladies can officially close out basketball at the Irwin Center in um, spectacular fashion. I hope fans show up and, and pack the stands and make this a home court advantage a home environment they're technically in the spokane region but the first two games are in austin so um the last two games ever at the irwin center uh, i'd love to see fans out there packing the house supporting these ladies who you know are, are the hottest team in the country right now look yeah they're, they're on an 11 game win streak they, this is you know their longest win streak in uh since 2016 they they are hot right now i would not want to play texas i would not want to play as anyone doesn't vic schaefer in march um in in the, the first game against fairfield look fairfield 
is also hot. They're on a 15-game win streak. Their last loss was uh, in, in January. It was January 22nd. They've won two overtime games since then. They've been fighting. Um, but there there is a reason that, that Fairfield is, is a you know, when you're a two seed, you get to play the 15 seed. Fairfield is a team that is really good for the mid-major and the, the extended mid-majors, right? They're in the, the M double AC, the Mac. Um, and they were the, both the regular season <laughs> conference title champs and they're not necessarily dominant in there, right? That they, they, uh, this is their first NCAA berth in 21 years. So they're going to have a lot to play for, but I do think, um, just the level of competition that Texas has played this year should make, hopefully as long as they do what they know how to do, um, should make this one pretty, pretty easy, I think. Um, but I did want to point out my favorite player on Fairfield's team, and there's some good ones. There truly are. But their leading rebounder is Andrea Hernan Gomez of the basketballing Hern- Hernan Gomez. Um, that's the uh, <laughs> the the brothers Hernan Gomez who are in the NBA currently. Willie and uh, I can't remember the other one's name. Joel, I think. Um, but she is their leading rebounder with 8.3 per game. And then they have two, I mean, legit. Like, again, they're not playing the toughest teams, but two players who are legit elite at what they do um a scorer and a and a point guard and so you know three really good players and who knows but i i you know i think vic is is ready and vic is ready to to do what needs to be done put his foot down here make a statement and get ready for a good run i mean this is what vic came to texas to do it's why he uh was able to be lured away i think he thought that his prospects were uh, on the up, and, and it's he was doing great things in Mississippi State, but that's why he comes to Texas. So the ladies, again, back in action on Friday, hopefully playing two more games in the Irwin Center before closing it out with a big W. Gerald, I left it up for you. I, I threw the alley-oop. I need you to say their top scorer's name. It is Lou Lopez Seneschal from France. Her name is Lou, which is, first of all, amazing. I'm 100% here for that. She's from France. She's, you know, averaging 20 points a game. Are you, I, I thought you were going to be all over this. I was ready for, uh, you know, she's from Grenoble. I don't know how to do a French accent, but I certainly I don't know how to do a Grenobleese uh, accent. But, you know, like I said, just... Texas has to play a women's basketball star named Lou who scores 20 a game from France. I mean, this, this sitcom writes itself. Hopefully Lou is not so sweet on Friday. Rachel Hakes averages six, almost six to six per game. Good enough for 12th in the nation shooting 43 from beyond the arc and averaging five rebounds per game. Again, Fairfield is a good team, but this is why Vic Schaefer came to Texas. This is what Vic Schaefer does, and I think Texas will continue to do what Vic Schaefer do and make their way out of the first two rounds of the Spokane region on Friday of this weekend. All right, Gerald, let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. Um, some good news for men's basketball. Andrew Jones uh, was named the co-winner of the USBWA Perry Wallace Most Courageous Award. Um, the senior, super senior, will be honored during the Final Four. Hopefully Texas is still playing, but, you know, either way, he gets to stick around uh, for the Final Four on, on Monday, April 4th at the U.S. Basketball Writers Association Awards Luncheon. Uh, the co-winner, just because, you know, Andrew Jones' story is amazing, the co-winner, Justin Hardy, is a D3 player at Washington University, St. Louis, who's currently battling stage four stomach cancer and still playing with his team. So two just absolute heroes. If you're going to root for any two players in America, I just named probably the two easiest. 
Andrew Jones is like a, a Texas legend. And Chris Beard mentioned that like, even if you set aside like what he's overcome, he would still be a legend at the university of Texas. And I think just all of those things, he is a guy who like, I would lobby for, they only put national player of the year award recipients in the rafters, but I would lobby for him to get his number retired at Texas. I think it, it's absolutely deserved for what he's done and what he's meant to this university over the last several years. Um, another guy who in a different sport, uh, but is, is, a fan favorite, a, a favorite of this podcast, uh, another award, at least watch list, not yet recipient, but Silas Ardwin named to the Buster Posey award watch list that goes to the nation's best backstop. Um, you know, we, we knew Silas was one of the best defensive catchers in the nation coming in. He's been swinging the stick. Uh, as well as we could have expected or, or better, I think. Um, so He's he's putting himself very squarely on this uh, this award watch list. He has more try me energy than my eighteen month old when he has a cookie. <laughs> like like this just like he he's looking down and he's like try me try me try just try to take this. My that's my how my eighteen month old holds onto a cookie and that's how Silas treats people's try to steal second. <laughs> I love that. Another <clears throat> another couple uh, of Longhorns going out and and doing big things. Uh, Lexi Massimo and uh, Trinity Byers both absolutely dominated or part of a, a squad that dominated the CONCACAF Women's U-20 Championship. Just strolled through that tournament as the champions. But Holly Ward playing for Team Canada also secured a spot in the FIFA U-20 World Cup as the runners-up in that competition. So hook them and congrats to all three of those women who will be competing at the U-20 World Cup. What starts here changes the world that's right even if that world is qatar i don't know that's where the men play i don't know where the u20 world cup is but uh it's a sham nonetheless anyways gerald let's finish it out with a little godzilla tron what are you watching on your giant screen uh so i didn't watch much because we were preparing to be out of town for spring break if you followed me on twitter you've seen that i am uh back home in shirts texas for spring break so we were on a little bit of a road trip so i knocked out some audio books or i'm in the middle of some audio books the last book of a uh, a series i've been reading the um Alex Virus series risen. I'm about halfway through that. Uh, and then I also picked up the latest random star Wars book that came out and it's, it's fine. Most star Wars books are exceedingly average and it's okay. It, it got me through a big chunk that, that chunk of the I 35 South driving to San Antonio drive, uh, that makes you want to just scream. It got me through that portion. Uh, so thank you for that. That is a tough drive, but it's also, I, I rely on Daryl to let me know when there even is a latest Star Wars book, uh, whether I will ever pick one up or not. It's good to know from Daryl that they're there. What I actually did is I did watch. Uh, my wife was uh, at a bachelorette party this weekend. She was in Las Vegas, and so, man, I went absolutely wild. That's not true. I watched some shows and some movies, and I, uh, I had had a burger and with some buddies and uh, drank a couple beers, but, you know, I wouldn't call it wild. I but my shows were wild, Gerald. I watched one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, and it's not something I wouldn't watch with my wife. I think she actually would like it. I've never watched it with her. But um, ever since I was like in high school or maybe junior high, I remember I saw this on like a Turner classic movie and fell in love. Cool Hand Luke uh, came on. It came on on Saturday morning, I think. It was before the Manchester United soccer match in which Cristiano Ronaldo scored a memorable hat trick. So I recorded it, and then I, I went back to it after the slate of Texas games, baseball and basketball. And uh, man, I, I just like, 
what an iconic Paul Newman performance. The the imagery, uh, it just you know, it's weird. I, I I don't know why two of my favorite movies of all time are, are prison films, Shawshank Redemption and Cool Hand Luke. They well, have those very are just good endings. movies. <laughs> they are legitimately excellent movies. I think prison allows you to speak to the human uh, condition maybe uh, more viscerally than other experiences, but I mean, maybe that's what it is. Um, but I, I loved it, and it'd probably been f- five, six, seven years since I'd watched that. So if you've never watched Cool Hand Luke, um, just an absolute classic with some iconic characters, some iconic lines, um, one of my all-time favorites. And then a show which I had let go kind of i had watched the first two seasons that focus on pablo escobar uh of narcos and then once pablo was gone so was i i guess i don't know uh, i'm not necessarily a pablo loyalist uh <laughs> interesting character Cocaine but I, I just <laughs> but i just let it go um so I, I started the third season which picks up after his death and deals with uh the other major colombian cartel which actually was bigger um the Cali cartel and started season three of narcos i think i'm about halfway five episodes or so through that a little over half uh through that and it's great um i, I i'm gonna keep going through with it to, to narcos mexico i haven't watched any of that either so um i feel like just continuity i'll, I'll Keep let it ride uh, here once I finish season three, but it's great. Um, it's a fun show. It's not the the, the single best, uh, you know, most poetic thing I've ever seen. But man, it's good fun action and drama, and there's some good laughs and some uh, some wild stuff. And uh, it's just uh, like I love the I love the scene. I love the Colombia of it all, which makes me wonder uh, how I'll like the Mexico. I think I'll like it too, but we'll see. I don't have thoughts on Narcos, but you mentioned Shawshank Redemption, which always brings up the fact that the Academy Awards got it wrong in 1994 and Forrest Gump should not have won Best Picture. I would have picked any of the other four nominees over Forrest Gump that year, including Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction. We're not here to debate that. I had a whole podcast about that uh, on my other now defunct Two Oak Nerds podcast, but uh, because my co-host Raymond disagreed, he loves Forrest Gump, thinks it's one of the greatest movies of all time, and I think it's Interesting. it's um it's it's good. It's a great movie, it's a great performance by Tom Hanks, but like Shawshank is way better than Forrest Gump. You know, I I I'm almost positive that the same thing for both those movies. They were in really strong uh, years for Best Picture because uh, Cool Hand Luke was nominated but did not win. And I want to say, I oh, man, I'd have to look it up, but like two of the other things that were nominated are also all-time snubs. Like it's like one of those years that it's just like, that one won and it's it's good. But what about these two all-time top 20, you know, classics? So interesting, both of those fell under that. I do love Forrest Gump, but Shawshank is, is very very short list for, for best movie of all time that I've ever seen at least that is the year 1968 Academy Awards honoring films of 1967 in which in the heat of the night one but that is also Fantastic. Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate and guess who's coming to dinner yes like come on Sydney Portier was going to get one that year regardless so that's all we've got for you <laughs> this week Kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet? Find me in Warren Beatty's mentions. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Gerd. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. If it ain't burning a turn.